Disclaimer, this episode contains cursing, strong opinions, and feelings that may not be shared by the masses at large. If these things aren't your cup of tea, feel free to change the podcast to a different one. We won't be offended. Thank you. Hey, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. Welcome to another episode of She Saved the World a Lot. We are, yes, trying to save the world a lot. So much is going on. Um, But yeah, I'm excited to talk about this episode because, um, well, so many reasons, but really the the presence of a new like love interest that is every boy stereotype that exists of like the sensitive dark dude it's hilarious um but we should introduce ourselves first i am sarah and i'm sarah and this is our podcast where we talk about buffy and all things feminism and uh history related and the real life themes of buffy that are not just about monsters um so yeah welcome well occasionally they are about monsters but just real life monsters yeah real life monsters. the kind that go no um we did just recently talk about on our first episode you know we talked a little bit about joss whedon maybe not being the hero he uh was made out to be in the 90s the mid 90s to early 2000s Um, We touched on that, and I know you wanted to talk a little bit about our disappointment in general with uh, Mr. Whedon. Speaking of real-life monsters, Mm -hmm. in our first episode, we did point out that we love Buffy, just like fans of Harry Potter love Harry Potter as an idea and a story and a larger than life phenomenon but mm-hmm. desperately dislike jk rowling for her transphobic statements and platform yeah um buffy is so much more than joss whedon because yeah. it was while it was his brainchild it was the creation of the talented actors and writers and producers and directors and editors and sound people and uh, special effects artists and makeup and everybody else who went into creating the show for seven years. Yep. And so and you continuing can, on with Angel yeah. too as well. Right. right. And so you can love Buffy and be very, very anti Joss Whedon mm-hmm. as we stated in our first episode. And that um, dislike of Joss Whedon was only intensified this last week when Charisma mm-hmm. Carpenter published her statement about how he treated her while um, specifically on Angel, uh, but also the toxic environment while working on Buffy that was mm-hmm. then supported by other actresses specifically on the from the Buffyverse. Yep. And so we just wanted to say that a, we totally believe all of them and anybody who has... Always stand with survivors. We always yeah. stand with people, especially women and men who've been subjected to um, discrimination on the basis of sex or harassment on the basis of sex or gender, really, I should say, the or perceived gender, regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I love I love Charisma Carpenter. I follow her on Instagram. She always has these amazingly positive things to say. And 
I knew we knew a little bit about she had said a few things about um, the way she was treated with her pregnancy and her weird ass character arc that came out of nowhere on Angel when she got pregnant. Um, you mean, hi, I'm pregnant. I'm in a coma. Oh, just joking. Now I'm dead and off the show. Yeah. And also like evil, like turns evil, like for no out of nowhere. It was a very strange and nonsensical story arc that in light of, you know, the information we have now with um, what she had to say um, about her treatment, especially when she came out as pregnant and like, as a side note, right, and a much greater issue, this whole country treats pregnant women like shit, and uh, we need to do way better when it comes to maternity leave and maternity rights and paternity leave and paternity rights, of course. We can't forget the, the fathers who want to be able to participate, but, like, I can't handle how this country treats women like shit when they're pregnant. Like, absolutely not. Mm-mm. Uh, um, speaking as someone who is made to cry by the head of HR when I informed my work that I was pregnant and yeah. was told that I would get zero pay mm-hmm. if I took off time. Um, yeah. Yes, I 100% agree. And then I also had to go back to work the minute my you know, six weeks of leave was up. Otherwise, I would have gotten a zero paycheck. Yeah, so 100%. It's a fucking joke and a crime, by the way. Yeah, your baby's a month old. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that we that's an aside for another day. Yeah, totally is that. Um, but yes, we stand with Charisma, we stand with Michelle Trachtenberg, who also made a statement about his behavior on set and um I'm just really glad that there were people on that set and they and that she has people in her life that were were like, no, he's never allowed to be alone in a room with her again. And that that was done for her because there's so many work environments where they would be like, well, you know, he's the creator. He's the producer. You just got to suck it up. Right. As we all know. I mean, we all know about Harvey Weinstein. And the poor women who were subjected to his abuse and victimization and predatory gross behavior for decades. Um, I am really happy to hear also, because um, I was reading an article about like, oh, the men of Buffy and Angel are now speaking out. And which always kind of pisses me off because I was like, where were the men at the time, right? That weren't getting treated like shit. Like, what were they doing then? But I guess Charisma Carpenter said something, like, via Instagram to David Boreanaz about how he was really supportive of her then. So I'm like, okay, cool. Then Angel is, in fact, one of the good ones. Sweet. But... Yeah, um, and if things are being done subversively, too, you don't know how much is actually being seen in person, which is what I think the actors who played Giles and Spike both said in their statements yeah. that, you know, they, I think um, the actor plays Giles said that he is so disappointed to, and like hurt that to know that's going on mm-hmm. because he thought it was such a family environment. And to know that the people that he cared about were being subjected to that when he didn't know, he didn't know what was going on and, you know, didn't see that is just like horrible. Yeah. So, and hey. so, uh, 
PSA to all white men, especially white men in Hollywood right now, all men in Hollywood, but particularly the white men in Hollywood, ask your female coworkers if they're okay. Check in on them, right? Like, wake up. Because I understand, like, I'm sure Anthony Stewart had, is a decent guy in real life. Well, I'm actually not sure, but I feel like he probably is. Everything I've observed about him in interviews and whatnot and his statements. But, like, men, you need to wake up. Like, you need to wake up to the things that are going on around you and, like, be a little bit more aware of the discrimination that women face in the workplace. Even if you are working on a show that is all about woman power because it still happens. It's still pervasive. And if you don't want to be one of the dudes that's like perpetuating it, you need to start paying attention a little bit better. That's all I'm saying. Like Uh Owen, Mr. Sensitive. Should we talk about the episode now of how and why you should never kill a boy on the first date? Yeah, but just as a last statement on that, because you're talking about how, you know, white men need to step up, um, you know, it is important to note that all of um, Chris McCarpenter's statement did come about in support of uh, Ray Fisher's statement Uh, against Joss Whedon about how he was treated on the set of Justice League. So it wasn't just his, you know, anti- actions against uh, females on set during Buffy. Yeah. It all stemmed, you know, all of this came about because of what Ray Fisher spoke out about, about how he was treated on the set of Justice League. Yep. So, again, it embraces all people. So watch out for everybody. Yeah. Check on your people. Check on your people. Check on your coworkers. Check on your neighbors. If they are a part of a group that might be the target of some hatred check on them be kind to them be kind to everyone yeah and if you're feeling down check on yourself yeah the hate self self-care you <laughs> what do you mean care is important too. self-care is important that's why we do and now, self-care sundays and talk about buffy that's right because we need it mm-hmm. and now let's talk about the gentle gentle soul that is Buffy's new love interest in episode, what are we now? Episode five of Buffy the Vampire Slayer season one. Never kill a boy on the first date. Never kill a boy on the first date. That's good advice, actually, in general. Just I mean, don't kill, yeah, I mean, just, never kill anybody on a first date. I mean, you should just not kill anybody in general. Right. That's good advice. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you're gonna date somebody, I don't really think. Unless on their first date, they introduce themselves as like, hi, I'm Ted Bundy and I'm a serial killer. Yeah. At which point, if do you what have you to do. murder them, do what you yeah, got. No, you do you. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, <laughs> I think you need more than one date before you can decide whether or not this somebody's decided to be murdered. <laughs> but again, blanket disclaimer, please don't murder anybody. <laughs> It's not a good life choice. All right. So Um, this is season one, episode five, which premiered um, basically a month from now at the end of March in 1997. Oh, my God. So many years ago. So many years ago. Oh, the 90s. Um, So do you want to start summarizing or should I? Um, 
I can if you want. Okay. You're totally welcome to it all. I just, well, I just start, like the opening scene so much because Buffy's fighting in, again, all the opening scenes are Buffy fighting a vampire in a cemetery. I love this opening scene uh-huh. because it starts off and you think it's just regular Buffy fighting a you know vampire in the graveyard you know, as she just wants to do. And then it turns out that like Giles is sitting on a tombstone, like evaluating her performance. Mm-hmm. Which Yeah. I just, She's having I, I love his critique. Yeah. Yeah. Plunge and move on. Plunge and move on. Like he objects <laughs> to her, you know, witty repartee and she's taking vampires. We are also which... introduced in this scene to one of Buffy's many talented but very obvious stunt doubles. Oh, yeah. Season one, that, that's one of my notes. My first note for the first scene is, here we are introduced to one of many of Buffy's stunt doubles. <laughs> because <laughs> it is so obviously not Sarah Michelle Gellar in this shot. You're just right. like, who's that random chick? Oh, I see now. Uh, see, I start noticing uh, knee pads. When they try to hide knee pads, mm. that's the thing that I started to look for is I the first time I rewatched the show is like how many times they fail to hide knee pads whenever Buffy and or stunt doubles are falling, sliding across a car, mm-hmm. you know, have to do a roll because knee pads are hard to hide. Speaking of someone who's volleyball for you. Quite bulky. They're quite bulky. Yeah, especially when your outfit consists of really tight pants and or mini mini skirts. So she's fighting the vamp. She takes the vamp. Giles critiques. Buffy says one of her witty puns. And then Giles finds a ring. A strange ring on the ground. And he doesn't know what it is. Even though it's a ring. Like it's pretty clearly a ring. Um, But no. But it has symbols. So he. My favorite pan. When he says. You know, because he's a librarian, he has to consult his book, and then it pans to the master, who is also consulting his book. Of course. Oh, so I I realized as I was watching it, um, a couple episodes ago, I was talking about how, like, the master has this weird quality, this, like, strange, like, swishy quality, which is actually my friend's word to describe his, like, relative level of gayness. And I was like, oh, here's what they're doing. They're doing that, like, Disney trope where like Disney does the characters like Ursula or Hades and they give them those like vaguely stereotypical, like what are seen as like homosexual tendencies. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's like articles Mm -hmm. written about this, like how Disney, like whenever there's a villain, there's like the LGBTQ community talks about this all the time. They're like, this is bullshit. And because it is. Oh yeah. It's mad problematic because it's the whole like, ancient association of because homosexuality is bad right. and because they're villains blah, blah, blah. yeah it's a whole thing and it's yeah so i was like mm. that's what it is that's what he reminded me of it reminded me of i can't i can't remember the article or thing that i was reading on the internet about that but it's that like they give male characters like delicate movements and like affect the slightly effeminate voice. qualities yes. too mm-hmm. and then like female evil villains are like like more masculine and like not sexy like Ursula is not meant to be sexy and I was like the master totally has that they did that thing 
Uh, oh, you mean you're talking about like Miss Trunchbull from Matilda? Yes, Miss Trunchbull from Matilda. Mm-hmm. Same, same shit. Yeah. We need to stop doing yeah. it again, Hollywood. We gotta stop doing these things. But be better. Be better. Be better. Um. So yeah, that's what I was like because I was like couldn't put my finger on it when we were talking about it a couple episodes ago, and I was just like, oh, it's that Disney, like evil gay trope. No good. No bueno. But it's, it's not even Disney. It's it's. I mean, yeah, but like Disney's like entertainment. Disney's entertainment wise, but Disney's it known yeah. for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, like see the Red Queen. Yep. And Alice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You could Google this for hours. Yeah. Guys. So it's it's everywhere. We will link to it on. We're our just blog here to sure. open minds and open hearts and talk about Buffy. Okay. <laughs> That's right. All right. So this is the first time we get our mention of the anointed one who will be a recurring character theme thorn in my side that I kind of want to put in a cage Mm -hmm. uh, for the rest of this season and into next season. And at this point, we don't know who the anointed one is. We will find out later. Like vampire that's going to be the person who... Or the, the vamp, the anointed one who brings the slayer to the master so the master can kill her. Yes, it's a prophecy. The anointed one will rise. Uh, X many people are going to have to die so the anointed one can it's rise. It's five. They mentioned later, I think. Five oh, yes. shall die yes. so he can rise. But we're not right. sure if and it's people or if it's vamp. It's like so five are supposed to die. Yeah, five are going to mm-hmm. die. And so the master is reading the prophecies, so we know it. Giles and Buffy are in the library so that they can discover the same information. We're just along for the ride so we can get this backstory. Mm-hmm. And into the, into the library walks Owen. Tall, blonde, doughy eyed. Lightly scruffy. Mm-hmm. Owen. And Buffy, of course, is all agog for this guy because, let's be real, Buffy's got a type, mm-hmm. and her type is slightly Cro-Magnon-y foreheaded dudes <laughs> who are much larger than her and like kind of wear a leather jacket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Angel fit that not bill. Great communicators. Yes, strong and silent mm-hmm. types with Cro-Magnon-y foreheads, Broody which is not its which is not a slight against them. Nope. It's literally just they have that like that broad jutting forehead yes. um, that makes for good sketching. Yes. But also gives them that distinctive look. And so Owen fits all of these tropes, right? He is strong. He is silent. He wants to check out a book. And at first Giles is like, go the fuck away. <laughs> what are you doing here? And Buffy's like, and Buffy has to point out it's a library. He wants to check out a book. But he doesn't even and of say course that. He, he says, I'm here looking for Emily, which gag. Oh, yeah. Gag. So pretentious. And then Ugh, the, and yeah. that's at first why Giles is like, who the fuck is Emily? And then he's like, my Emily Dickinson. I, she's my security yeah. blanket. I don't feel okay without her. And as I was a huge ass fan of Emily Dickinson in high school, and still am, because I think she had a pretty fucking interesting life. And she, again, had to deal with a bunch of patriarchal bullshit in her time. But, side note, um, 
the fact that he walks in and he's like, I'm looking, I need an, I, I lost my copy of Emily. Like, ew, ew. So, yeah. Yeah. It's trying to present him as this, you know, super literary, sensitive, you know, literary, well-read, sensitive dude. But really, it's just pretentious and kind of gross. And every time I watch it, I'm like, Bleh. yep. Like, I'm barfing in my mouth as he's saying this. Mm-hmm. I would have respected him so much more if he was like, hey, Giles, or Mr. Librarian Man, do you have a copy of the, you know, collected works of Emily Dickinson? I can't leave home without my copy because I need to read that sad bird poem every day <laughs> to give my emo self some joy. You know? I would be like, props, Owen. Mm-hmm. That is something I can respect. Yeah. But the way he does it is just so lit pretentious. It's like those people who carry around copies of like Ulysses <laughs> or War and Peace and say that they're going to read them. And it's like, bullshit, dude. You have never fucking read this mm-hmm. book. You know why? Because Ulysses is... Yeah. I, I've read every book and that book is... Yeah. 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 Sorry. So... I mean, I read... Yeah. Yeah. And... So, yeah, that's a problem. But now Buffy's all in love. And she pretends to love Emily Dickinson, too. But, of course... She says Emily Dickinson because... Yeah, Buffy's never read. read. Yeah. I mean, (sighs) let's not be mean. Buffy (laughs) doesn't read classical literature. Buffy probably reads magazines. And Buffy has different literary tastes than pretentious Owen. Buffy Buffy likes to learn later. She gets into learning. Yes. But she does, like, she reads magazines and she reads things. And it's not that her reading choices are not valid. They're just not the same reading choices as this guy. Right. And you should never pretend no. to like the same books as somebody Girl, else just to make are, them like you. If you are down with Seventeen Magazine and... And Cosmo, embrace that shit. I, hell like, yeah. Who's I that? have a Seventeen yeah. Magazine subscription. Of course I did. That shit was awesome. Um, I mean, this Sunday seven. She probably has a, a subscription to Jane too. Mm-hmm. So, so Buffy's a smitten everybody kitten. did. Was free. Giles makes some comment about how like Emily Dickinson is a good poet for, and Buffy like inserts an like, American for a girl, and Buffy's like, and Giles is like for an American. <laughs> yeah, because Giles is many things, but he's not super no, sexist. He's not a sexist, and that no. is. It, I mean, why we love Giles? He has a little bit of the old, like old dad kind of sexism sometimes, but that's then, why I but said he's not Buffy, super sexist. Buffy calls him out on it, and he's usually like, he's one of those guys that's like, I am willing to address my own sexist tendencies and reflect upon them and be better. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, he's not super sexist. Mm-hmm. He has that, I am a product of my environment mm-hmm. and how I was raised, but I am willing to learn. And I think because he is a watcher and, you know, is around women who literally beat up and destroy monsters as their calling in life, mm-hmm. you know, he can't be one of those, oh, women should stay home. No, in his world, women kick ass and take names. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of got that just in general. Yep. But no, I love it it's because she's an American. Yeah. And so all of the good poetry is, you know, <laughs> from England. True. <sighs> yeah. So we cut to the cafeteria where um, Buffy and Willow are discussing the merits of Owen. 
Willow is filling him, uh, filling in Buffy on all his like dark brooding past. And she's like, I think she even says something like he brooded for like a solid 15 minutes when I watched him or I clocked it. And it's like, oh, oh he can brood for 40 minutes straight. Uh-huh. I wrote that down in uh-huh. my notes. Uh-huh. He does. And then they're like, he's sensitive yet manly. Mm-hmm. That's great. No. Um, yeah, my main problem with this is that at one point, uh, the quote, does this outfit make me look fat? Oh, yeah. Is spoken. And that's a problem because A, who gives a fuck what your weight is? It does not define you. And you probably look good anyway. Also, you're Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. Who cares? Mm -hmm. I hate that so much. Yeah, we never. I have again. like eight little angry faces yes. drawn next to this is Alpha making me look never fat in my notes are we because using that line in any script anywhere Hollywood get over it. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. The... And then. Sorry, what were you sorry. gonna say? Oh, I was gonna say that um, as Buffy notices that Owen is going, sitting down by himself and decides that she's going to go over and sit with him so he's not alone. And Cordelia goes in, of course, and snatches the seat next to Owen. Of course, because Cordelia Buffy's response is, is to, you know, Cordelia. Cordelia. Yeah. But Buffy's response is to then body shame Cordelia. Oh, right. Her hips Which, are so again, big or something. I didn't realize how mm-hmm. big Cordelia's hips are. Yeah. yeah. Which again? Mm-mm problematic like had she said i didn't realize how big cordelia's ego is we would have been like sure i didn't realize cordelia was such an entitled bitch that she just runs people over in order to get what she wants fair right but no there are so many things to pick on about people that are accurate what you look like should not be fucking one Mm -hmm. of them and even though, by the Indeed. way, Cordelia is all up on Owen, even though Owen is in no way Cordelia's type. Like, Cordelia likes jocks. She likes the football players, the basketball players, the swimmers, the everyone. Owen, like, sits Everybody. in a corner by himself reading Emily Dickinson. He, he, why, Cordelia? But as we all know, Cordelia really just wants Owen because Buffy wants Owen, and there has to be conflict between girls, apparently, on 90s TV shows. Um, but then, much to Cordelia's dismay, Owen is like, Buffy, I'm so happy to see you, because I have an actual crush on you. And, um, he asks her out on a date. Um, even though Buffy really can't get out any sort of coherent sentences when she talks to him, he still likes her. So that's cool. That's cute. It is. <clears throat> and then ne- yeah, and then next we cut to after the whole like, oh of course we're gonna go on a date tonight at the bronze because where else is there to go in Sunnydale? Absolutely nowhere. It's the bronze. Um we cut to a crazy guy on a bus ranting at like a bus traveling at night. And um this crazy guy is ranting about like ye who shall be judged. 
And in my notes, I wrote, he looks like everyone who stormed the Capitol on January 6th. <laughs> because. Nice. Wait, did we forget about the fact that uh, Buffy or Giles finds out that according to his calculations, the anointed one is going to rise that night and puts the kibosh on Buffy's Yes, face? but that comes, that comes in a minute. But they do, when okay, they were in the but... library looking for Emily Dickens. <laughs> um, Giles was trying That's to a new tell, name I declare yeah, it. Giles is trying to tell Buffy about the order of Aurelius, which is the symbol on the ring, and the order of Aurelius is like supposed to bring about like oh and uh like destruction and they're like going to protect the anointed one, which they're still kind of like trying to figure out who the anointed one is, and he's like the order of Aurelius is going to rise and blah 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 so we actually find out and she's like yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. boys he's like sure but emily dickens and owen <laughs> um right so, and so then crazy yeah, rioter so then we are like cut back from scenes back and forth between crazy guy on the bus who um looks like an insurrectionist and the people on the bus being like uh-oh we're like on a bus with this crazy guy and um, we also find out Sunnydale has an airport because right then, as the bus driver is trying to tell crazy guy who's screaming about, like, ye who shall be judged and he speaks through me and he's claiming some, like, vaguely religious, you know, um, speechifying while everybody else on the bus is like, oh, great, we're on a bus with a, like, you know, religious schizophrenic. Cool. Um, mm-hmm. the, the bus driver is distracted and then a vampire like jumps out in front of the bus and the bus crashes and the bus crashes and the bus is actually a like ride share to the Sunnydale airport. So I was like, oh, hey, Sunnydale, I wrote that in my notes. I was like, oh, Sunnydale has an airport. Cool. Because Sunnydale is as big or as small as it needs <laughs> to be for the situation. The exactly. Because don't forget, in a season or two, it's going to also have a bus depot um, and then not have a bus depot and then all of a sudden grow a college. Sunnydale's an up-and-coming town in the late 90s. (laughs) It's hip. It's happening. Cool. um, So... And we're meant to believe that the crazy, ranting, religious man on the bus is our anointed one. Because obviously... because of his religious babbling and I'm the chosen one. And in the meantime, we find out that the order of Aurelius that Giles was so concerned about is going to attack tonight. And therefore, um, Buffy cannot go on her date. So Buffy and Giles cut to Buffy and Giles sitting in a cemetery. And Giles is like, well, I guess my calculations were wrong because there's no vampires here. And Buffy is in a very fuzzy animal print hoodie jacket sipping on a big big gulp style drink. And she's pissed. So she's like, can I go on my date now? So Giles is like, sure. And Buffy rushes off to the bronze just in time to see Owen dancing with Cordelia. And Cordelia is being all snuggly and 
Owen is just sort of there and oafish and like waving back and forth dancing. But of course, all Buffy sees is Owen plus Cordelia and she is super upset. Uh, Side note, this episode gives us one of the most iconic Buffy Mm -hmm. quotes ever, which is, if the apocalypse comes, beat me. Absolutely. There have been many a t-shirt made with the quote, if the apocalypse comes, beat me. Because back in 1997, we had beepers. We had beepers. And technology. And it was super cool. Okay. If you had a beeper, you were awesome. I did not have a beeper because, like, who needed to get in touch with me while I was at school? I was with all my friends. I couldn't afford a beeper, so I also didn't Yeah, I mean, have. that was another thing. Like, my parents were just like, there's absolutely no need in this universe or any other for you to have a beeper. Like, we know where you are. Yeah. Um, so that happened. Um, so then... Uh, yes, the vamps attack the van. Buffy goes home all dejected because Owen is dancing with Cordelia at the bronze. And we cut to the next day where Buffy is like complaining to Xander, who is still like, uh, everything Xander says all the time. I'm just like, Xander, shut up. Because he's still like, oh, you know, trying to get with Buffy and, uh, he says he makes some disparaging comment about Owen being stupid. And then Owen shows up at the lockers and he's like, Hey Buffy, I didn't see you last night. And so again, Buffy is immediately smitten. Um, and she's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Instead of taking Xander's advice from like moments earlier where, uh, he says, just tell him you had a flat tire. Although why Buffy would be driving to the bronze because she doesn't have a driver's license. It doesn't matter. Um, She says that her watch broke and they don't have any clocks in their house. And she didn't know what time it was or even what day it was. Yeah, it's the worst excuse ever. Oh, I thought that I was the only person that happened to. Right, which makes me picture the Owen, weird Emily Dickinson reading Owen, lives in some kind of Amish farmhouse with no electricity. And so he just has to go by his pocket watch that he winds and the sun. And if he forgets to wind his pocket watch, then he doesn't know what time it is. And he just has to use the sundial outside and the position of the sun in the sky to figure out what time because it is. Also and what day it is. He loans Buffy his antique gold pocket watch. Right, because every teenager has an antique gold. This dude is just beyond. <laughs> and I think part of it is because he really wants to, like, he secretly wants to date Emily Dickinson and live in the 1800s. Um, or he really does live on an, you know, the, an, an Amish farmhouse on the outskirts of Sunnydale because who knows how big Sunnydale is and they could possibly have farmland. I don't know. Um, but I, what I wrote down during that entire exchange is why do Buffy and Owen talk to one another like they are the stupidest people on the planet? Because none, neither of them makes any sense. And they both talk to each other like they're either 
you know, like they don't fully grasp the language that the other one is speaking or whatever, but they just talk to each other. Like, it's so bizarre. Oh, I know this answer. Because all of their blood has rushed oh, to their genitals. Maybe that's it. And so their brains have no blood to function. And so there's very little firing yeah. up there. And so what comes out is... Yeah. Blah, blah, um, blah, we, blah, blah. I don't have clocks at my house. And I didn't know what day or time it was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Basically. So then we cut to Buffy and Willow and Xander in Buffy's room. Where Buffy is in a very, very fluffy pink bathrobe trying to figure out what to wear and it is a choice between micro mini dress with flowers and micro mini dress that's just sort of like monotone and she's asking Xander like am I fun and flirty or like serious and I'm like both of those dresses show your vagina so the message is the same that you're trying to convey. But no. Flowers equal fun and flirty. And no pattern equals yep. serious. Also true. Women are very much defined by the patterns of fabric that they wear. And that is how we let men know yes. uh, exactly what we're thinking. We're like, if I'm wearing flowers, it's because I'm fun and flirty. But if I'm wearing polka dots, it's mm-hmm. because I'm indecisive. <laughs> Yes, my clothing says, stay the fuck away. Yeah. I'm a grim reaper. Hence why we just wear all black all the time. High collar, long sleeves, down to yeah. our ankles. Get away. And then Xander is <laughs> Mine super says, creepy. go away. He t- tries to tell Buffy to wear a parka and a ski cap because he doesn't want Buffy to be the desire, the sexual desire of any other man but him. And then... Like Buffy goes to change, which we know we know doesn't work because when Willow is dressed in a giant fluffy parka as an Eskimo, oh, she totally yes. gets noticed yes. by Oz. That's so I think even ever. if dressed in a giant yeah. fluffy parka, oh my you know, god, it's adorable. Uh, Owen would have still noticed that still Buffy, Buffy is mm-hmm. Buffy, and he'd still say, and then Xander is super creepy. And Buffy and Willow are like, uh, turn around so I can change. So Xander positions himself in front of, like, Buffy's jewelry box with a mirror and tries to, like, look in the mirror. How do they not notice that he's being super creepy and gross? Like, why didn't they just kick him out of the room? Like, I didn't even I don't know of my gay male friends in high school. Like... Like, when I knew they were, like, they were openly gay. And I was like, yeah, but you still have to leave the room because I'm going to change. Because I don't want to change in front of anyone. Because I'm a high school student. I know. I perfected the art of changing Uh under my other clothes. Every girl, every girl in the United States of America. Because in Europe, they don't give as much of a shit about these things. But, like, literally every girl in America understands what it's like to try to change your clothes underneath the clothes you're wearing. Yeah. How Xander never set off their creeper alarm is beyond. I mean, Buffy was fighting vampires, which is objectively, I guess, a greater evil. Because they're murderers. Yeah. I don't know. Now, with the, like, with the, you know, hindsight of... 20 plus years I'm sort of like I don't know what is worse creeper or murderer 
don't know. I thought yeah. it was creepy even back then, but <laughs> beside the point. So they're all up there, and then who should show up? Giles. Yeah. Well, because, you know, now it's their date, and then Giles figures out that um, from the bus crash the night before, and the vampires who ate all the people in the van, or bus, um, there's, like... Well, no. Only five people oh, were killed right. in the only bus crash. five people. Just fitting prophecy. with the mm-hmm. prophecy that... So, Buffy is, like, I'm still, I'm, like, this time Buffy's, like, I'm going on a date. Giles kind of slut shames her a little bit. He's, like, is that all you ever do is date? She's, like, I didn't have a date last night. This is the date. But still, like, yeah, she's a teenage girl. That's what she should be doing. She should be going out on dates with nice, normal, living teenage boys. Um, and so they somehow managed to, like, thwart Giles, Willow, and Xander give Owen tips and like Xander is again creepy and is like Buffy doesn't like to be touched or kissed or even looked at and Owen's like okay you're weird um so they go to the bronze and what do Buffy and Owen do at the bronze do they dance at the bronze do nope do they have snacks at the bronze Mm -hmm. nope nope they sit in a corner while Owen fucking talks about Emily Dickinson who what Mm -hmm. what and, like, Buffy's, like, trying to be, like, oh, was she romantic and tragic? And he's, like, no, she sat alone in her room and was obsessed with death, like me. Red flag, Buffy. Red flag. Well, because, remember, Buffy knows fuck all about this guy, except that she looked at him and he made butterflies in her tummy. They have zero yeah, in fucking nothing. common. And when she actually speaks to him in words that make coherent sense, she realizes that they have zero mm-hmm. in fucking common. And while she's there realizing they have nothing in common, poor fucking Giles decides to go do her yep. job. Because Giles, apparently, another note I have, Giles is an idiot. Why would he go to the morgue alone? Why? And yeah. also, why would Willow and Xander decide we should go and check on Giles? Makes right. no sense. So, because they're so trained oh in skilled combat. But yeah. So then, so they're cutting back from Giles being probably nearly almost killed at the morgue by the vampires who show up at the morgue and Buffy on her date at the bronze. Meanwhile, Cordelia shows up with crimped hair. Her hair is crimped. Oh, yeah. I just need to take like a full moment. To acknowledge that mm. they cr- they got it a crimping iron and crimped yeah, they did. Cordelia's hair. They did it. They did. So she's, of course, a dick and, like, interrupts Buffy and Owen dancing and, like, pretends like Buffy isn't even there. And she's like, Owen, you're here all by yourself. And Owen's like, uh, I'm literally standing here with Buffy right now. And so he rejects. Much to, like, Buffy's relief. And, you know, Buffy gets to win this round. Points for Buffy this round. Owen picks her. And Cordelia's, like, says something snarky and bitchy. Like, well, when you're ready for the big leagues, let me know. And, again, that is props to Owen in his favor. That he's just, like, I'm literally standing Mm -hmm. here next to Buffy. Like, 
even though he says everything in sort of like a weird doofy kind of like vacant way it, unless he's talking about Emily Dickinson and death it's the only thing that sparks joy in him death and Dickinson death and Dickinson um, and so uh, Giles is getting chased by vampires at the morgue and manages to move an entire giant metal filing cabinet up against a door like it is made of paper, which let's be real, it's a prop and it is. Um, but that is something that mm-hmm. I missed. I was like, oh yeah, Giles has locked himself in the room in the morgue because the vampires are chasing him while Buffy's on her date. And he literally like grabs the filing cabinet like he's going to slide it. But... <laughs> Because the filing cabinet is not actually made of metal and full of 500 pounds of files. Um, He like slides it and like slightly picks it up off the floor. And it's just like so. (laughs) I couldn't not burst out laughing because he's like, okay, the vampires are definitely going to be able to knock that shit over if a normal human can just pick up again a filing cabinet like a big metal thousand pound filing cabinet um but it's fine Mm -hmm. (laughs) and while we do find out later that giles is way more of a badass than we're led to believe Mm -hmm. for many seasons he can't pick up a filing cabinet shoving that shit like real hard 100 percent. but picking up um so then uh willow and xander show up and are like giles are you okay they see like open a window because giles is in the morgue basement and they're like are you okay there's vampires and giles is like yeah go get buffy help and uh they're like we're gonna go get buffy so they show up at the bronze Mm -hmm. we're on buffy's date meanwhile angel shows up wearing velvet (sighs) Oh, oh yeah this is the episode of questionable bronze. Oh, it's so good. So Angel shows up at the bronze to warn Buffy about the anointed one and the rise of the five people from the anointed because the five people who died. My favorite, though, is when Angel walks into the bronze and he walks right past Cordelia as Cordelia is bitching about like, you know, like Buffy's standing waiting for Owen and she's like, oh. What a slut. Like, she's just throwing herself. What a disgusting display. And then Angel walks in, and Cordelia immediately says, Hello, salty goodness. <laughs> um, and then, of course, Angel walks over to Buffy, and Cordelia is like, Am I in the Twilight Zone? Like, what the hell is going on? Why is this happening to me? Um, so... Willow and Xander show up at the bronze. Angel shows up at the bronze. Buffy's like, I just want to go on a fucking date. Like, what is wrong with all you people? And then Willow and Xander are like, yes, but uh," they're all talking in code like, oh, super creepy. And so they're like, we need to go to the morgue because that will be fun. And Owen is immediately thrilled at the prospect of going to the morgue on a date. Because again, the only things Owen likes are D and D, Death and Dickinson. I also love the awkwardness of Xander and Willow yes. pretending to be a couple so that Fake they can, you know, trying to 
yeah, fake double date, you know, like going to the morgue. And then so they can do something fun, which is, yeah, mm-hmm. hilariously awkward. Um, but yes, the idea of going to the funeral home just is the only thing besides Emily Dickinson that gets Owen from weird monotone robot to semblance yeah, of human. Like, so he is down absolutely. to clown with that idea. Absolutely. So then they go to the morgue. And, mm-hmm. well, actually, no, Buffy says, like, you can't come to the morgue. We're just going to go to the morgue, um, which is kind of a strange thing. Yeah. And he's not having that. So. Yeah. Because he really yeah. wants to. Um, so they, they go to the morgue. Owen still shows up at the morgue to save Giles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're all really convinced that, again, weird apocalyptic preacher guy who died in the crash who turns out to be like a murderer so. right um is the is the anointed one so that's who they've got their sights set on is dead body of creepy preacher yeah they're trying guy. to find and they're trying to um figure out where all the vampires in the morgue chasing giles are hiding Owen is super right. thrilled to be at the morgue. He's like, ooh, let's go here. Let's go there. Willow and Xander, like, um, trying to distract him. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I forget what happens. Unluckily for Owen, he fails to be distracted and creepy preacher murder guy comes back to life as a vampire. Oh, right. Buffy has to fight him, and Owen, of course, because he has no idea what the fuck is going on, gets oh, knocked yes. unconscious. So, actually, I gotta say, though, in that whole scene where they realize, because they accidentally are hiding in the observation room, because Buffy's like, oh, this room is safe, right? Because there's no vampires in there. Yeah, except um, for the coffin. But then Owen opens mm-hmm. the um, curtain, and it turns out it's the observation room where there's a dead body, like, laying on a slab. And then the dead body starts to move and it's crazy preacher guy. So they have to escape. And then they end up, yeah. Buffy goes into the, um, the, like the crematorium, right? They're in the room with all the bodies. And mm-hmm. um, Giles is like, why did you bring your date here? And she's like, he just showed up. Like he just came. Um, but I got to say in the, in the fight scene between Buffy and like crazy preacher guy, um, Owen actually proves himself to be far more useful than Xander has ever been. Like, Owen actually goes after him and, like, hits him with an urn and, like, tries to, like, get him off Buffy because he's he doesn't obviously realize that Buffy is the Slayer. But also, he's, like, legit trying to protect Buffy from this crazy murderer guy. And I was like, why on earth would Buffy not want to yeah like actually i'm on board with owen now like owen has proved that he is useful in a fight um and so buffy but then he gets knocked unconscious buffy thinks that he killed his date so that's where the episode title comes in right it's like you killed my date and then she shoves him the vampire preacher creepy murderer guy into the uh cremation chamber and 
That's right. We get our death by cremation as opposed yep. to our traditional death by staking. <laughs> and they feel like they have killed the anointed one. They have prevented the prophecy. All is good. La-di-da. Yep. They can go home and sleep tight. Um, and then the next day at school, Buffy's like, well, Owen's never going to talk to me again. Cause, oh, because he does. He, he gets knocked out. But he wakes up and he's like, I think I'm just going to go home. Like, I, um, I'm not sure. Because he's mildly concussed, maybe. Uh, we don't know. And then. Probably. Um, the next day at school, Buffy's like, well, he's never going to want to talk to me again. Blah, blah, blah. Like, there goes my social life. Everything sucks. And then Owen comes up to her and he's like, hey, Buffy. And it's, like, slightly awkward at first. And then he's like, I've never felt so alive. And I love this. And, like, when can we go, like, let's go freaking bungee jumping or, like, let's go pick a fight in a bar in a seedy part of town. And Buffy's like, uh, oh, so that's why you like me. And so she breaks up with poor Owen. Even though I'm like, wait, Buffy. Like, and then she talks to Giles about how, like, oh, he would end up getting killed. But I was like, but yet we still have no problem with Xander coming along, where Xander proves to be utterly useless 99% of the time. Whereas, but, like, Owen, who's kind of into it, into you, and would probably, like, Owen, I felt like I had this thought, like, I wrote down, I was like, oh, Owen is pre-Riley. Right. A normal guy mm-hmm. who's actually like into, you know, killing demons and like, like she could have definitely told him and been like, okay, but like, here are the rules of the game. And you know, Owen would have like actually figured out like, oh, I should probably like work out and train and like learn martial arts and like, if I want to be helpful to Buffy, as opposed to Xander, who just makes witty quips. Oh, yeah, 100%. thrown into more graves, into more sides of buildings, across more caves than, like, any other character on this show. Yeah, but we can't keep Owen because that was standing in the way of the long-term Buffy Angel arc, whereas despite Xander thinking he actually has any chance in hell with Buffy, Xander has no chance in hell with Buffy. And so all he really is good for, besides being creepily incel, is his quips and one-liners and his dazzling array of really, really ugly shirts. And that's that's about it. And so he is no threat to Buffy's true love angel plot, whereas Owen actually could have been. But when Giles tries to comfort Buffy as she's, you know, realizing that she and Owen can never be. I love that he tells her about his own disappointment and realizing that life was not going to be oh, how right. he wanted he because wanted he had to be, to be a watcher. Because he wanted when to he be like a, a fighter, young, young boy. He... Or yes. a grocer. His two choices for what he wanted to be when he grew up were a fighter pilot or a grocer. Like both very different. One of them is the action world. packed. Yes, but very different. But on, jobs. 
Yeah, I mean, they're both essential. If we're qualifying, they're both essential jobs. But one is action-packed and requires years of training and very, very specialized skills, and you have to have good eyesight. And the other one does not require as much training. You can have shitty, shitty eyesight, and there are a lot more opportunities to be a grocer. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. I love that those are his two choices. And he's sad because he... Nope. Didn't get to be a grocer. Nope. Had to be a watcher of that. Oh, man. Such a good episode. So good. And then, of course, it ends. But they're both happy because, of course, the master's master plot to have his anointed one rise is foiled. And then we discover at the very, very end that that is not true because creepy preacher guy. Nope. He was, was not our anointed one. He was a distractor. No. Yep. He was a red herring. And instead, right. the anointed one is the little tiny child that the mom was trying to protect the, you know, while he was like on the bus. There's like a two second frame of like the camera panning past this little kid playing with an airplane while preacher guy is going nuts. And that is the anointed one. Which is why from this point forward, we will refer to him as the annoying one because he's a little tiny Damien looking child. And frankly, he's eight. So he's just annoying because he's a little child and he is the annoying one. So the annoying one has risen and will become a problem later on. And that's how Never Kill a Boy on the First Date ends. The only other thing of note from this episode is because the bronze is our place where everybody meets. And one of the things that Buffy does, like Charmed, as we mentioned before, is they bring Ah. on current bands to perform. This episode had, while Buffy and Owen are at the bronze on their date, uh, Ah. the Velvet Chain is performing while Buffy and Owen are at their thing. So they were able to get their songs in the episode of Buffy yeah, lots and of bands got get free. a little bit of airtime. Well, time. not free, but like quite a bit more attention. I guess it is free advertising. I'm sure they were paid to be there, but like definitely got a lot more radio airplay because of being on Buffy. Um, yeah. So should we mm-hmm. take a quick break and then talk about our related badass lady? All right. All right. So we're back and let's get into our badass woman of the episode that ties into the episode Never Kill a Boy on the First Date. Yeah. So um, I was thinking about, you know, how much time they do spend in the morgue and our badass woman of the week based on that inspiration is Caitlin Doty. Uh, who is a mortician, revolutionary, and general badass. She um, (laughs) is the author of three best-selling books, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Other Lessons from the Crematory, From Here to Eternity, Traveling the World to Find the Good Death, and Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs? Big Questions from Tiny Mortals About Death. Um, She is very, very cool. I believe you have read – her books are on my reading list now because I actually just learned about her – because she went viral talking about um, 
uh, on her Ask a Mortician. Um, she's the founder of, she's like a YouTube personality. Anyway, sorry. She went viral talking about the COVID deaths and like the chaos that's going on with all of the absolute tragedy of this pandemic and um, how funeral homes and crematoriums and mortuaries and all these places are just like completely overrun and um, what a serious tragedy it was. So um, that's how she sparked my interest. And you have read her book. Yes. One of her books. Yeah. So along with Mary Roach, who also writes about death and one of those things I like to read about, she is an author that's been on my reading list for a while. So when Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs came out, the title alone got me and I read it. It's actually really enjoyable. And when my tiny human gets a little bit older, we're going to read it together because it's questions from kids about death. And so it's actually a really good book to read with tiny humans to explain death to them and different things. Um, So I really liked it. I haven't read the other two yet. They are on my reading list. And so I'll probably get to them this year. But I recommend, I recommend at least uh, the first one highly, but the other ones I will read. And I really like that the um, Death Acceptance Collective that she created or founded is called the Order of the Good Death, because I feel like that's, that's the way I want to go is the good death. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah. And just like my vague research of her and, um, learning about her i i love the idea that she's anti like the whitewashing death stuff like she's very much like death is a part of life and being interested in you know dead people and dead bodies and what happens to our bodies is like not something that should be considered shameful or weird it should be like accepted and understood as a part of life and I think I mean we all know with colonialism they just you know the the western European versions of like having to like cover things up and like not talk about things has led to um I don't know two world wars and well multiple world wars and all kinds of just because I just as a historian that's how I feel about it and I I love badass especially badass women who were like, no, we need to like buck these traditions of denying what is absolutely a natural part of life, like death or sex. Or um, it's funny you mentioned Mary Roach because I've read Boink, which is great and highly recommended. You should read it. It's all about the science of sex. It's hilarious and weird. And mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I I am so interested to read her books now too because. Um, having had my grandmother pass in the last couple of years, which was like the, I like think the, the closest person to me who's passed away. Um, I had a very different outlook on her death and like the rest of my family. And I really feel like, um, what, what Caitlin has to say about, you know, how we deal with death was a lot closer to my experience in, in that. Yeah. And for anybody that is interested in learning more about 
not death, but death acceptance or is freaked out by death or anything. The uh, collective that she created, which is a collective that's run by funeral industry professionals, uh, that's, again, it's called the Order of the Good Death, is rad because it's a bunch of blogs and um, articles and different things. They have videos, but they're all about basically not loving death, but accepting death and getting over the anxiety that we have that, oh my God, you know, we're going to die. And so they have articles about, um, you know, death positive, like not, you know, fearing death. And they have um, different things about, you know, natural burial and like green death technology, which is something that I'm like super interested in. And, you know, I want to be a tree when I die. Yes, um, but something that, that, that's really cool and that I think, Sarah, if you haven't checked it already, would be really interested in is a lot of the articles and the blog posts that they have focus on different aspects of death and like the links like inequality. So one of the posts that they had from last um, around Halloween, it's called Why Are Ghosts So White? That really focuses on the inequality and the... Um, whitewashing of even ghost stories and how you know even in our our ghost stories in the uh, the supernatural tales and the things that we hear in towns it's primarily the stories of like white settlers and white people and the the stories of the indigenous people and the cultures that you know originally settled here and even the people of you know other cultures like in our towns are less seen and less heard Mm -hmm. which I think is really interesting and then they have a whole series which is really cool that's uh, called the death gap the end of life inequality that focuses on the ways the systematic um, systemic racism impacts the way um, the communities experience death and access end of life care oh my god that sounds amazing yeah. Um, yeah, it's really hard to put it all kind of, like, I, I love this idea of um, a, a bunch of different academics and professionals and people who work in the industry, like, talking ab- about these things. I, I mean, I, when I think about ghost stories, you're right. I, as somebody who's a historian, like, you would think that our ghost stories, if we, if we accept this idea that ghosts are spirits with unresolved trauma, right, then our ghost stories should probably be much more diverse because the amount of death and trauma experienced by indigenous people and people of color, you know, from the slave trade to the massacre of the natives to the massacre of like Asian people in California in the like early 20th century shit like this happened. You'd think there'd be more um, diverse ghosts. Right. Um, yeah. But again, this is why we love Buffy so much because it helps us to process real world things and think about things that we never thought about before <clears throat> in what is also 
off in a lighthearted and campy way so that we can process all our feelings equally. And <laughs> also why we love people like Caitlin Doty who takes those same things that we fear, like you know, dying mm-hmm. and transforms them into things that we can read and enjoy mm-hmm. and help us process again that big scary fucking thing that is, you know, yeah. death. Um for sure. Yeah. So again, if you haven't checked her out, like Sarah said, she got a lot of she became a lot more well known uh, thanks to this fucking pandemic. Ugh. Um and uh, yeah, like what she's been doing during that. But she does have three awesome books. And again, I recommend everyone go check out The Order of the Good Death because it's fascinating and it's got some really good articles and it's um, bookmarked and I've read a bunch of them. That's awesome. I know that. I read everything. So yeah, you do. That's the thing. Well, you can also read um, it with like lightning speed. It's not even yeah. cute. And it's an educational website. So you know how much I love learning new things. Mm-hmm. Is and the website has, theorderofthegooddeath.com? Yes, it is indeed. Um, and she does have an educational web series, Ask a Mortician, mm-hmm. that you can go check out as well if you want to learn more. So, I love it. I love our Pretty cool. Yes. Right. Um, no, even better. What? So, because, you know, I'm totally scrolling her biography. Mm-hmm. Her... She got a degree in medieval history, so props because yes. I totally did too. Um, that was mine, which you know is awesome now since they decided that medieval history doesn't count and we totally skip it. But whatever. Uh, her thesis was called "In Our Image: The Suppression of Demonic Births and Late Medieval Witchcraft Theory." Nice. So I love her even more now. I'm yeah. obsessed. Also, she has a super Betty Page vibe that I'm digging. Yeah. I love the bangs. I love the the whole ensemble. Um, So, yeah. Caitlin Doty, guys. Check her out. Check it out. Caitlin, there's also CaitlinDoty.com. It's Caitlin with a C. C C-A-I-T-L-I-N-D-O-U-G-H-T-Y.com. For and if for any reason, as a teacher, I have to say this, we are pronouncing your name wrong. We super apologize. Of course. I want to say Dodi. Dodi? Dodri. <laughs> now I just feel like I'm in that old Jack in the Box commercial where he's trying to <laughs> <laughs> pronounce Chipotle. Or Chipotle. Chipotle. Yeah. Sorry. The first time my brother tried to... Read quesadilla when I was writing out things for him and he was learning to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, adorbs. Or my fourth grade teacher was telling about her husband who really couldn't read and he called her from the store going, Where's Latucci? I don't know Latucci. What is that? And she's like, uh, Lettuce? Oh. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you caught the Golden Globes last night, but Tracy Morgan seemed to have a real problem with the word soul. I mean, I can't say old, so I can't really judge that, but... But he definitely was like, Saul. And I was like, Saul. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, Tina Fey was there in a clinch to, like, you know, be adorable about it. Um, Yeah. That's on a TV channel. I don't watch those things. All right. 
is, is it a true, true crime documentary? Because if it is, I'm totally there. Otherwise, or the Adams family for the 500th time this month. Mm. Otherwise, no, I haven't seen it. Because that's what we watch in our house. Yeah. The Adams family and true crime documentaries. And of course, Buffy. Of course, Buffy. Yeah, so that's it for this week. Again, remember, never kill a boy on a first date or ever because... Murder is wrong. They're pretty much... Yeah, murder is wrong. Don't do it. You're probably going to get caught. And again, it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Just kill people in your head. Right. That is always okay. (laughs) You're always allowed to murder people in your head. Just don't actually go through with it. Or better yet, write a screenplay. Or a book, turn it into a murder mystery and get your fan fiction, fan fiction, anything, any yep. of that stuff. Creative, mm-hmm. get it out. Ex- expression don't is important. Don't actually do it. Don't actually murder people. Yeah. That's very bad. Um, Go read some books. Next, you can check out some stuff. And next week, we'll talk about my favorite, oh, my favorite episode. Okay, here's the thing. I, I love to hate this episode I so much. I love to hate this episode. Well, I hate to love this episode. Actually, my issue is much more I really, really, really hate how much I love this episode. And it's bad. And when I was a teenager, it made me feel all kind of feelings. Because, again, Xander Harris was my um, prototype. Like, if it wasn't Angel, right? The dark and brooding. We all know how my feelings about Angel. But, like, Xander was definitely the, like my type and now I watch it and I'm like, ew, you're gross and an incel and I can't handle how, how naive and ignorant I was as a teen. But there are also some important points in this episode and pieces of dialogue that I think were really, really important for teenagers to hear on television being just like put out there. And so that is why even years later, now when I watch it, I'm like, oh, Xander, why? Um, the episode overall, I think, comes out like 51% good and 49% problematic. <laughs> it's fine. Um, it's fine. But yes. All right. So, yeah, next week we'll talk about the pack. Mm-hmm. And until then, stay safe. Stay sane. Watch yourself. Fucking Buffy. Exactly. And And be a badass woman. Go be badass. Happy Women's History Month, guys. That's right. Happy Women's History Month. All right. We'll see you next week. See you then.